You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome back to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. This is actually the third part of a three-episode series called Listen Up, which is focused on the hidden power of listening. And our first guest was Dr. Graham Bodie from the University of Mississippi, who teaches about listening versus just hearing and how listening as a tool and as a skill is so incredibly important in the 21st century. Our second guest was Aaron Christopher, a filmmaker and a speaker and a school leader who wrote, produced, and directed the movie Listen, which takes place in a small town America and it focuses on a multi-racial, multi-ethnic group of students together in the same high school, but the adults don't listen to them and the consequences are serious and severe. And we had a great talk about how that movie is not too far from real life because high school kids, kids of all ages, let's say adults, kids up to 99, all need to be listened to. And because to be listened to is to be seen and to be seen is to be known. And that is critically important. And in this day and age, particularly in this day and age, we are seeing the results of what happens when people don't listen. People could be placed into leadership roles. People could be demanding respect by the business card they hold, by the clothes they wear, the suit that might or might not fit, but they might not be listening to their constituencies, to the people that they have a major influence over. And today, for our third guest in our third episode of this three-part series, to round it out, I have filmmaker, consultant, teacher, keynote speaker, thought leader, and just beautiful person, Andre Lee, who's going to talk with us today about listening and about listening as it pertains to his work, uh, sharing his films, The Prep School Negro, a, a documentary based on his own growing up, which came out, gosh, Andre, I think it came out 10 years ago now? Yeah, 10 years ago. Incredible. And it's, av- it's available online. It's available for schools. Um, and I got to tell you, Andre, Prep School Negro, I saw you uh, screen it about six or seven years ago in Los Angeles, and it, it absolutely sucked us all in the gut. And yet it also made us think, and, and you led and facilitated a discussion about that movie that communicated to me and to everybody in the room this guy knows how to listen. This guy knows how to facilitate and how to make us all in the audience comfortable asking questions about a sensitive topic, and especially knowing that the movie was based on you. And then you also produced a movie called I'm Not Racist, Am I?, which came out about five years ago um, and is fascinating and phenomenal as it looks at, I think it's 12 high school kids in New York who come together on retreats and on weekend gatherings uh, staggered throughout the winter and spring of their of, of their high school year, kids from different backgrounds, in different race, different ethnicities, talking about race and trying to figure out how we can talk about this thorny, this this very fraught, tightly woven issue topic, which has become an issue, and 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 one might say, and this movie actually kind of implies to me that it becomes an issue because the first step toward real understanding is listening. So the, both of these movies, uh, Prep School Negro and I'm Not Racist, Am I? As we know, as we, as we educators know, schools go through cycles. And if your school had screened this movie, Prep School Negro, back 
10, 9, 8, 7 years ago, you got a whole new crop of students that <laughs> need to see this movie. And if your school hasn't seen I'm Not Racist, Am I? or has five, four, five, three, four, five years ago, it's time for your school to see it again. And, uh, and if you can, if you're fortunate enough to have Andre facilitate a uh, discussion afterwards, because he is an amazing facilitator. So for all that lead in, Andre, I just want to welcome you to Reach, Teach, Talk. This is a podcast about relationships in the classroom and also in the classroom of life. It's always the goal of these podcasts is always to try to draw people into sharing how they've been able to build relationships in their workplace, in their relationships with their community, uh, and particularly starting with the relationships with themselves. So welcome to Reach Teach Talk, Andre. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you so much, and I'm really honored to be here. That is quite an introduction. You have so much, and I've enjoyed your, your podcast. There's so much passion and love for the work. You know, going back to your book, to the podcast, and it's really exciting to see the shape it's taking and the effectiveness it can have in the world. So thank you for having me, and thank you for your effort and uh, constant work. It's, we need it. We need it in this world right now. Thank you so much, Andre. That's high praise coming from you, and I really appreciate it. And goes a long way. Um, I just want to start off just with this. You've you've spoken to hundreds. I don't even know, maybe even a thousand school groups. Um, when you've screened Prep School Negro, when you screened I'm Not Racist, Am I? When you've also traveled to talk about race, to talk about uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion with schools. As a surface question here, how do you gauge whether you are being listened to and not just heard. And then my second question would be, how do you encourage listening and not just hearing among your audience, whether it's a classroom or whether it's a larger group? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, as you, <clears throat> a few points along the introduction, I thought about how I arrived in this space. You know, I was a filmmaker. I made a movie and I thought, well, what do I do with this? And I started taking around to high schools and engaging in conversations. And someone at a school early on, at a school in at the Kent School in Denver, Colorado, a man said to me, you know, you realize this is your ministry, right? And I was like, I, I'm not a minister. What are you talking about? He goes, no, no, you, you have found the path. And you can't fight it. You know, and I was, I was so taken aback. And I was like, what is he talking about? And I think about, you know, my, I grew up in a church, in a Southern Baptist church, which means you were in church all day Sunday. <laughs> We'd leave my house in the morning around 8.30 a.m. and would not get home until about 9 p.m. on Sunday nights. And I guess I did have all the homework to get done by Monday morning. That's another, I worked it out. So <clears throat> my mother was always head of some organization. So after service, she would gather the women's group or the youth group and have a conversation. And she'd stand in front and negotiate what the plan was to execute the day or the exercise or what they were doing. And I was, she was a single mother, her, my sister and I, she, my sister and I, and so where all there was, I was. So from a little child, I was sitting in the front row from the point where my legs were out on the bench like that to the point where they dropped down, you know, watching her run organizations and speak in front of people. And I think that's where I learned, without even knowing it, I was trained in how to do this work. So the ways I know if people are listening is I'm really, I make really good direct eye contact and call people out, you know, call people in, I should say, in conversations. You know, when someone sneezes, I say tight, you know, and it gets a little giggle, but people are like, wow, you're really, I'll, I'll be mid-sentence of tight and keep going. Cause I want to, I want people to know that they're in the room. 
Um, a really good exercise I've learned when someone asks you a question, as you answer, you repeat the question back to them, you know, and you give them the question back and you really just really show care and concern. Um, I think the ways I know is that I know that people are listening are just um, how engaged they are. I keep direct eye contact. I make it very casual. I'm also, you know, because I'm in a very particular field when it comes to these films and projects. It's, it's D, the DEI conversation. And I intentionally avoid what I call the phraseology, you know, all the words. The words are important and they matter in terms of talking about these issues, but I try and make it real plain talk. Like I'm really like this, I'm talking to you as a human being, not that that other way of talking isn't, but I'm talking just on a really plain, simple, straightforward conversational level. And then I think about something, um, Alice Walker, one of my favorite writers. I once saw, I went, well, I saw her speak when I was, um, at a talk at Columbia University in New York City. And she said, you know, the problem with most conversations is that as someone is asking you a question, you're thinking about your answer as they're asking it, as opposed to really just clearing your mind and listening to the question, let it sit with you. And I remember, I remember sitting here thinking, before and I'm like, it's Alice Walker, so I'm like, everything she says is amazing. You know, but that stayed with me so intensely. Like, what does it mean to not ponder your answer, not ponder your response as you, as someone talks about you? Like, with your introduction, even though my mind went to a little like, oh, it triggers moments, but to stay in it and not let, not let yourself go off track so you can really pay attention and stay focused, I think is a really great way. Um, also, with my company, Pointment Learning, that produced the Prep School Negro and I'm Not Racist, Am I? Um, we, we started out with the norms, you know, when having these conversations and our norms are not your typical norms. You know, we have two that are really, three that I really like that, um, we have a lot of them, but three that I really like that I'll mention. And one is, um, the idea of first draft. So what does it mean when you're having a difficult conversation to assume that someone is potentially giving their first draft as they're talking to you? So how do you say, I'm not gonna say, Nat, you made this point, this, therefore that is who you are in this complicated conversation. I can say, you know what, that's your first draft. I'm gonna take that in. Here's my first draft response. Let's work together to get to a more formal draft. You know, teachers love that one. I love that. Teachers are like, see kids, he said it too. <laughs> you know, it's great. And then um, another is, um, how can you ask questions with curiosity and take away judgment. How do you take your judgment out of a question asker? You know, how do you remove that judgment? You, you, well, you really did that versus I want to understand what you did. It's, real, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's deceptively simple, that concept. And then what's followed up after that is listen, really listen when someone gives you an answer to your question when you ask a question with curiosity like just really really listen and we have this one exercise called was it something i said and it's all about what to do when you are the person that offends someone or you're the person that's offended how do you handle that conversation we break it down using our company title point made you know p is a pause pause and take in what happened if you're offended respond only if you think it's relevant inform them what was said to you you know and then and it goes on from there and it's all that exercise is all about listening you know because it's, it's 
folks often say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to have these conversations. I don't, I'm not an expert in race and racism. And I say, you're a human being. You know how to talk to people. So you can manage this. You don't have to cite every single um, bibliography that's out there or, or, or know all the phrase and terms. Be a, be a gentle human being and listen to what someone says and do your best to just try and come with love and respect in these difficult conversations. Um, so I, I try and, you know, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I've, I've, I did it with a, room full, with a room with a thousand people at Ohio State University. We show one of our films, Catherine and I, the director of the film, and we're on stage and something happens when we get up there where we know how to work with the crowd and get folks in and get them in. You know, I like when someone's like, ah, oh! you know, and it's like, what? What's happening for you over there? You know, what does that mean? Tell us about what you're experiencing. There are no wrong comments or thoughts or ideas. It sounds like whether you're in a group of a thousand uh, or a group of 15, you have a similar approach in, in terms of generating, right? L good listening, effective listening, true listening. I'm thinking about, I'm not racist, am I? And I'm thinking about how um, the group met several times right? And I think the first meeting was like an overnight retreat up in Vermont or something or upstate New York or something. And they got a chance to know each other, they got a chance to feel each other out, first impressions, but they were all first drafts. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And this idea, you were just, as you were talking, I was thinking about the incorporation of time and listening and this rush for time preventing listening. Yeah. Because, right? Like if you're rushed for time, you're not going to be thinking about, oh, okay, this is my first draft. And and we'll be able to return to what's been said or what I might have said, but not quite perfectly later, like with this group of kids, right? Because they knew they would be coming back again and again and again throughout the winter and spring um, to, to delve further into this, the topic of race. It helped so much for those kids to have that knowledge that, that, that this wouldn't be the last time. Like the first impression isn't the last impression. Can you speak to that at all? Was that intentional? And is, am I kind of, Correct in that, or is there more mm -hmm. to go on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so fun. I still remember the moment because we had met all, we met all the kids. We, we spent a good couple of months finding the children. And the night before, two children dropped out. We thought we'd have 14. It was like, oh no, you know, and so it's, and the kids had never met. Some of them knew each other, maybe two or three knew each other, maybe a few more. Let's see, one, two, three knew each other, and then two more knew each other from like childhood. Mm -hmm. but it hadn't seen each other in a long time. So mm -hmm. 12 kids, different schools, actually two more knew each other. But for the most part, the group didn't know each other. I'm like, I'm like having all the flashback and memories right now. So we, they all get on the bus. And I, I go to the site in advance to prepare and set up. And Catherine meets them with the camera crew. I have another camera crew that's going to film their arrival. So we're, we're up in, in French Creek. It's upstate New York. It's this great campsite. It's the winter. We're all staying in this one like castle-like building because we're 12 kids and a bunch of crew. And we, I'm sitting in a window and I'm thinking like, oh, I hope they like each other. The first time I'm meeting, what's going to happen? Are they going to get along? Kids can be, you know, little bit clicks, what happens? And the bus pulls up and they all come bumbling down the path, like laughing and giggling. After having spent like an hour in advance saying hello and talking and then about a 90-minute drive. And all of a sudden they were tight and buddies, and they were just kids enjoying each other. And I remember like being emotional, like, cause you work so hard, you wanted to work and be like, oh, it's gonna work, you know? So I think that they had a, had a immediate affinity, you know? And they all were children that were very, part of our requirement for them to be in the film was to be able to talk 
and to listen. You know, they had to be able to show up and participate at a full level. We told them, said, look, we're not making love and hip hop. You know, this isn't an MTV TV show. This is a real serious, deep conversation about some complex issues, but we'll have to respect each other. We'll have to learn how to fight well in terms of challenging one another, you know, in terms of ideas and, and principles, because we're different people. So what does it mean to disagree, yet stay in the same space? You know, we ask the children to remain with us in three ways, and we do this at our screenings, where we say, stay with this um, intellectually, think about why we're having this conversation, what it means, and show with your intellectual self. Stay with it emotionally, bring your heart and spirit to the conversation, and stay with it physically. Like, it's gonna get tough, you wanna leave, but do your best. If you need to walk out, walk out, but please come back when you're ready. Um, and, and what's required in that, and I think what happened so quickly is that they, they were hearing folks talk about issues they had never discussed so openly and deeply. That first three days, we took them to a workshop run by what's called the People's Institute. And man, that's a, that's talk about listening. That's three days of intense conversation. Um, and, you know, when I first went to it, I thought, oh, this would be cute. I'll see people learn something. I know all this stuff. And I walked out kind of like, oh, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know all this history and it was changed. And it was exciting to see them go through that and then to have one another. We gave them lots of free time to be together. You know, we had our meals together. It was a real intense, like, three-day experience. And that's how they got on that path to go forward um, and, and show up and be present. And, and there's such a great example of that, and I won't spoil it, uh, in the movie near the end, where there's a perfect example of what you're just saying, Andre, where there was a kid who says, and I, I just said I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm kind of spoiling <laughs> it. I, I won't give any names. Um, <laughs> where one kid says to the other, you've annoyed me, like, 90% of the whole yeah. experience. Yeah. And the the uh, the person to whom he he, he or she says this r tries to run away her instinct is to run away human instinct yet through the through through the 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 really the comforting role of the facilitator she comes back and and we watch as the audience what happens when they sit together and they don't threaten to leave and they look each other in the eye and they explain and they explain in ways of how they are feeling and they listen to each other and that is such it ends up being a perfect yeah. like case example of the importance of just what you said not leaving and it gets me thinking andre about something that i wasn't expecting to think about which is the times we live in today where we, we we flip channels all the time. Like, you know, people are scanning headlines every day on, on the web and they're looking and they get headlines. And it's like, okay, one day it's Corona, it's COVID. Another day it's, um, you know, a protest march. Another day it is the economy is crashing. Another day is Russia. Another day is elections. Right, right? Yeah, and yeah. and we're all flipping the channels, but we're not sitting. We're not sitting and, and, and staying. We're not staying. So can you speak more perhaps to the idea of staying in conversation or staying quietly and listening, even if maybe the role of discomfort that could come with staying, Andre? Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples of that or anything that comes to mind? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, that scene you mentioned that we're not going to spoil. Um, <laughs> that facilitator you mentioned has something in common with the two of us. You know, you and I met in college. You we went to Connecticut College, the school on the hill in New London. Okay, so Liza, who was a facilitator you just mentioned. 
the woman who facilitated. You went to Khan? She went to Khan College. Oh, get out. That I was cool. on campus and I was, there was a, she was leading this great conversation. And for that, that, that scene is one of the last workshops the kids go through. And we were struggling because we were saying the kids are talking at this high level about racism and systemic racism, but they're not talking to one another and challenging each other and communicating their truths. And I saw her make a talk at a reunion. I was at there giving a talk and I watched her give a talk. And I raised my head and I was like, hey, what are you doing on Saturday? And she goes, uh, having dinner with my husband? And I was like, no, 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 that's not um, I wasn't asking you out. <laughs> right, 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 it was hilarious. And she's someone who is, she's gifted. She's so good, Eliza Tallison. She's so gifted um, with, that, with that work. And I learned a lot from working with her and witnessing her experiences and um, ability and skill set. And so, I mean, that, that kind of, you gave a great example of, of what I see in that space um, in terms of what it means in those difficult, difficult spots to listen and help and guide someone. And I, I thought about, I, but I was thinking about this because, uh, you know, in terms of people in my life who've done that for me, yeah, you cool. know, and I have a lot of them. Um, but I thought of one in particular that comes to mind that I haven't thought about in a long time. You know, so I went to my high school on a scholarship and I was a smart kid. You know, I had read everything Judy Bloom had ever written by the time I got to ninth grade. But I got to this intense private high school and we were reading literature. And it was at a much higher level than anything I had read. And I had assignments and writing and I wasn't prepared academically. I didn't have the skill set to balance my homework, to, um, you know, back in those days, back in those days, we had <laughs> four or five hours a night of homework. Totally. Literally, um, a change I'd like. I, I, it's a change that I've seen happen. That that's not the case anymore, for the most part. Which I think is smart and great. But that's another podcast. Homework. Um, so <laughs> the I had a the school got me a tutor to help me because they saw me struggling. And this guy, his name was Tom, and he was just this guy who came in and he worked with a few students. And I remember one session we were in. And it was probably 30 minutes into it, and I was just talking and talking and talking about school. We hadn't covered anything in um, my schoolwork. And I remember thinking, like, why are we, why am I talking so much? And he's like, because you need to, you know? And I mean, that man turned my academic life around because we were doing the work also, but he, I needed to talk about the difficulty of being in this environment and how I knew I could do it but I wasn't sure. And I just needed to vent yes. and just discuss. And he knew the institution so well. He knew the work so well that he could get me to the next steps and help me, help me crafting my essays and organizing my time. We could do all that. But he also, he also spent a lot of time just letting me talk about my experience there and responding to it also. You know, we, we would talk about it. We'd have heavy conversations. I remember one day, it sticks out of my head because I was, I think it was my beginning understanding about economic divide and inequity in the world. Yeah. And I was talking about it, how it just felt so strange. I felt kids doing stuff that I couldn't participate in and this and that. And he said, you know, I really wish your eyes weren't open to this stuff so early. Oh. And I didn't know what he meant at that time, you know? And as an adult, I'm like, oh, this is what he's talking about. Right. You know, the structures in our society. And here I am with a life committed to dismantling and rebuilding those structures and that was all because this man this tutor who came who met me i mean it must have been twice a week after it was after school you know i had to 
do, I had to go do sports and come back to campus, you know, and we would sit there and just go through and it was, it was fantastic. Really I mean, really, wow. This is like, it's, it's like therapy, but, but, but um, kind of in the disguise of, of academic, yes. you know, tutoring, like, you know, but, but Tom had this, whether he really intended to or not, it was just in his way of knowing that in order to get you, Andre, to, to excel, to what excel, whatever the definition of excelling is for you academically, meant meeting you where you were. Mm-hmm. Andre is a verbal person. Andre has a lot in his mind. Andre is trying to fit between two extremes. Yeah. And academics are actually the bridge there. And yeah. if that academic bridge breaks, then Andre's going to break, right? So whether he thought this con- consciously or not, he was certainly by allowing you to be you. And that's another whole co- podcast as well is yeah, right. identity and being authentic and flourishing. He was allowing you to do that, right? Like, and, and it's funny how it's the way you're describing Tom is in, in the rearview mirror. Like you don't necessarily know it going through it, but it's when you look back, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to find him. I haven't, I wonder where he is and what he's doing and what he's like. Cause I didn't, I knew him as I was a kid and he was an adult. So he yeah. wasn't like a real person. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Because <laughs> that is so in the teenage head. Yeah, <laughs> right totally, totally, totally. Yeah, a real person. But I'm also thinking just quickly uh, in Prep School Negro that, um, and this is, you have two versions. You've got the one that's for schools and you've got the one that's longer and it's more personal. And, and I'm not sure, I can't remember, I've seen it so many times in, di- in both, both of the versions. But basically, your discovery, you did, you probably will find Tom because you found your mom's therapist and you learned that her, during your whole growing up or, you know, during these years when you were at GFS and beyond, she was seeing a therapist and the importance for her to help navigate, right? I mean, can you, is there a connection between Tom and, the, and, and your mom's therapist in that way? Uh, I wonder. I wonder. I mean, I, I, I mean, in terms of like an actual physical, they knew each other. That's one story, but in terms of the experience and the work they did, yeah. there clearly is. There clearly is. You know, my I learned I learned posthumous, posthumously that my mother was seeing a therapist. I learned after she was gone. You know, it was actually at the school when I showed the film and someone I showed because I made the shorter version and I showed it to the school and we talked about it. And I wanted their approval before I took it out to work at the school to represent it, you know, and the like. And someone said, you know, how'd you first learn about the school? And I was like, oh yeah, uh, this guy, I said his name, Stephen Rook. I said, was well, I know Stephen Rook, he lives around the corner from me. Someone else said, yeah, I know him. He, I have his card on my desk. And I was like, what? I've heard the name since I was 13. And I called him up and this man knew my life. Yes. He knew and I was like, who are you? My mother saw him as a therapist for eight years secretly. So my instant connection with her, I didn't even know I had, was her ability to seek help and seek someone to hear her. You know, here's this woman working in a factory, raising two children on $13,000 a year in the 80s in America. Like, think about that. Think about that. You know, and we had clothes and a house and food. I don't know how she did it. I don't know how she did it. Um, And she knew that she needed help. One thing he said, she, she walked to the door and she said, my boy needs something else. The school I was in wasn't enough. You know, my boy needs something else. She couldn't say this private school, I went to on a scholarship, but she couldn't say Germantown Friends School. She didn't know that, that place. But she said, my boy needs something else. And so she was listening to me. Yes. And I didn't even know it. 
you know? She was hearing me communicate needs and desires and wants that I didn't even know I was probably communicating. And she listened and saw, and she went out and saw it, you know? It's yeah. so funny because I remember when I first sat with them, I, I was I assumed I was going, yeah. She probably talked to my sister the whole time that I ever come up, and he was like, "Are you kidding me? You're the first thing she talked about." Yep, yep, that's out in the movie. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's it's mine. I was like, really? It was mind blowing, mind blowing, mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing, and and I'm also thinking about the um, the coach, the basketball coach. Can you tell tell me about him? And I think you know what I'm what I'm getting at here because that has to do with also I listening, watching, mm-hmm. and being able to 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 act it, action actionate or whatever. So yeah, 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 it works. Yeah, David Felson Senior. He was uh, the principal at the school at the time, and the uh, the therapist sent me to the basketball reading clinic. I was in North Philadelphia. Uh, I, I was section. I wasn't allowed to go outside and play very much. I wasn't very active. He's like, this kid has to get out of the house. And so they shipped me off to the basketball clinic. It was, I was, it was a day clinic. And I go back and forth between the school and my house. And I was horrible at basketball, but I was great at reading. It was a basketball reading clinic. And half the day was basketball, half the day was reading. So I excelled <laughs> one half of the day, you know, and he saw that. You know, he's, he saw me, um, you know, at every question, raising my hand and having done all the work and being excited about being probably the only kid in the whole camp excited about reading time. And, and, and word of the day. Word of the day. Word of the day was great. Word of the day. There's Andre's hand up. I know it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. For the people, the word of the day was um, we had a scrimmage at the end of every day, which was like my nightmare. And I was never, I was always the last kid picked. I just didn't have, no one ever told me how to play sports. No one had ever shown me how to play sports. This is when I got there as a 13 year old, was the first time I was shown how to actually do a layup, you know, which I still know how to do to this day, but no one ever shown me. It just wasn't in my vocabulary and in my training. So we had the basketball games and they would blow the whistle at any point in the game and go, okay, the first team to use word of the day and a sentence, the word of the day was introduced in the morning. End of the day, using the word of the day in a sentence, you get five bonus points. So people were like, we want Andre. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I knew the word of the day. I wasn't first pick, but I definitely was like, yeah, shot. Exactly, exactly. Get it where you can, right? Yes. Yeah, and, I, and, I really, and there was, I mean, there was a community that, once again, people that I didn't, and that's interesting to think about how important it is to listen to children and witness them. Because um, there were people, I didn't know they were watching me and listening to me. I just thought, I was like this annoying kid who couldn't play basketball. That's how I felt, you know, right. who was excited about one part of the program, who would like sneak off to the computer lab. Because yeah, this was my first time seeing a computer lab. Yeah. You know, the school had a computer lab. A computer lab in like 1984 was a big deal, yep. you know? Yep. And it, 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 it all printed on dot matrix when you type your paper, you know? Yes, totally. Oh, it's, I think we saw that in college. <laughs> Yeah, totally, right? Totally. Right? Big old Commodore three somethings. Totally, totally. <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And the holes in the side. Totally, um, totally, totally. You used, you used a really interesting word that I want to circle back on. Speaking of word of the, word of the day, I uh, used the word witness, Andre, witness. And he witnessed you. He witnessed. And um, it, it's, it, it resonates with me, Andre, this word, because... I've always looked at witness as there's a jury, you know, a 12 person jury and there's a witness and then you know the judge and you know the prosecutor and all that. 
I go right to a courtroom when I think about witness, witness for the prosecution. But now I'm thinking about witness in a very benevolent, completely different way. Mm -hmm. Like this, this coach, like this, this basketball coach, like Dave, Dave, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he witnessed you. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. How can a teacher in a classroom, and this is as we, as we kind of round third base and, and head home in this podcast episode, Andre, <laughs> how, for the teachers who are listening and who are gearing up for a new year in September, Hopefully. Whatever it looks like. Oh my God. Well, first of all, we don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be fully remote, depending on the school, fully remote. It's going to be a hybrid. It's going to be bricks and mortars. Be... But let's just focus on our classroom, right? Whether it's remote or whether it's bricks and mortar, we, we are honored to have the privilege to have a classroom and our classroom of, of students. And that's where we come from on this. I know you do too. It's where you come from on this. It's where we're honored. But to bear witness to your students, can you delve into that a little bit? How, how teachers beginning of the year can use listening to bear witness? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the, the witnessing of a child in your classroom, pick up on little notes, you know, when something's frustrating or hard. I'm, I'm, I, I, luckily, I'm not very shy. So I'm like, hey, I noticed when we talked about this, your, your eyebrows went up. What happened for you? You know, was that something? They're like, no. And then it may, they may come back later. They go, well, you know, it was a little bit of complicated like, I, I believe, I, I believe, I really, as a teacher, I kind of bear my soul to an extent, you know, and I'm very like, I'm here for you, I'm present, we're going to hear some, because we're doing films in my kind, I'm teaching filmmaking, and we're watching some complicated movies, and I start my film saying, these are some tough topics sometimes, and I need you to be mature, and I need you to let me know if you need to check out or step out, you know, I have one, I have one student, I like, I like, I like to bring snacks to um, my classes. Always once, yeah, right, totally. Especially when we're watching a movie, I bring a bag of popcorn. Awesome. You know, in my class this year, somehow it was all boys. So I walk in and like put the bag down, and like one minute later, there's one kernel. Left. It's all gone. <laughs> and I had one student that didn't eat. He never, he never partake, partook. And I checked in with his family. So you know, I noticed that you know he doesn't. And his mother said, "Oh, he doesn't like to eat in public. That's his thing." And so the next time I brought it, as opposed to being like, why aren't you going to have some? You know, I just like, oh, we're going to do this now. And if you want to have some, have some. If you don't want to have some, don't have some. There's no pressure. Don't feel bad. Like, and just, and really made it, created a space where his choice was not odd and strange. Right. It was, I witnessed who he was. I did some research to find out. And I was able to create a community that said, okay, this is what this kid needs. Yes. You know? Excellent. It, Excellent. It's, it come, for me, it comes from the, the, the phrase to be a living witness. You know, I remember hearing that as a, as a small child. Like, I'm talking about church a lot. But hearing that in church as a small child, like, what does it mean to be a living witness? And I think that for me, that is a matter of witnessing the world, you know, witnessing what's around you, and then actually being able to come back and, and witness to other people and share it. Um, so I, I think, um, I think that's, that's, that, I think that story really illustrates to me how you can, as a teacher, really do that. And yes, it takes extra steps and extra work, but you know what? We all know this is one of the hardest jobs out there, and this is one more thing we do within it. And, and I knew, I knew that kid. I knew he had a great experience in the class because of that, because his family told me for one. But I also knew that. Um, 
I could see him like the best is he was always the first in class, you know, just like I walk in and he's like, hey, I'm like, how'd you beat me here? You know, <laughs> ready, you know, and when we start doing remote, once again, he's the first one in, you know, yep. and I was yep. like, yeah, because we've created a space that's for him, yes. you know, as yes. opposed to making someone feel strange because they don't do one behavior that yes. seems normal yes. or standard. You know, we live in a world now where I think people, I understand people going to those moments and status quo and standards because people are nervous and afraid of difference. Yeah. And we have to get over that. We have to let that go. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable, lean into the discomfort and embrace it. Um, along those lines of being afraid to acknowledge one's difference, so your work is all about, Andre, it's all about um, helping actually your students whether it's in your film class or whether it's your students who are in the high school gymnasium of 500 after they've seen one of your movies to really feel empowered that I can be somebody, I can be an individual and, and I have an identity that is different than everybody else is here and everybody else has an identity that's different. And I think that when it comes to your work, the difficulty, and tell me, tell me if this, this sounds, this resonates or not, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but it's, it's the, okay, so it's, we're going to come into our classroom in September. We're going to learn about, if, we're, if we are truly relational teachers, we are going to learn about the identities of our students and we're going to celebrate them as you did and as you do. Yet when it comes to talking about certain issues, when it comes to talking about certain topics where it could be just, you know, uncomfortable or whatever, people can also become part of a tribe. They can feel comfort with, okay, I'm going to go with somebody who's like me. Um, I'm going to, or I'm not going to speak because I don't feel like I, I have a right to speak because I'm not in the shoes of, you know, somebody else who fits this topic more, more closely than I do. Circling the airport here. So what, what could you advise teachers to do to encourage a classroom of respect for the individual, yet how can you use listening as a teacher? What elements of listening do you think would be so important for teachers to lay out from day one so that students can not only honor who they are as individuals and feel safe to be authentic, but also really like lean in, as you said earlier, to the ideas, the thoughts, the experiences of uh, their, their peers who are different than they are? Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I think about that, you know, something I learned from another teacher, a friend of mine, who's a very introverted person. And he said something he does in his classes, and I tried it, and I always say it, and I think it um, helps, is he says, you know, okay, we're going to do group work now, and you can work in groups of one to three. You know, and I, when he said that, I was like, wait, what do you mean? He's like, some people want to work on their own. Sometimes you do need to, you need to have the group dynamics important for the progress and the process to spread out the work, et cetera. But sometimes... If you say that, so I, I just say that, you know, and do all kinds of things I can do to make sure everyone has a moment where they feel acknowledged and seen, you know? Like it's, and that, and that means going outside and doing extra work, going outside of what I know, you know? I don't know things about, what well, that, I'm, I'm not, I don't know that things, I don't know things essentially about sports. It's not my universe, my fortune, what I learned about. I had a class of all boys, and sometimes this conversation goes into like sports teams. So I was like, I gotta do some research. And the way I did it was, I would come to class and say, so let me ask this question. I don't understand this. 
and get them to, to talk about explain it. And the experience a child can have to teach an adult something, you know, that's like meaningful for them when they have respect and admiration for you and then they have the chance to teach you something and you're open to it and you let go of your need to know it all, you know. There's a really great, um, my school is a Quaker school and I, I, I gave a lecture and to prepare for a lecture, um, it was about, it's about Quakerism and teaching of the arts and how the two come together. And I went to this book by um, um, a guy, his, his name is Palmer, and the book is called Meeting for Learning. And I was like, what is this? And the whole idea is, because you know, the Quakers practice their religion by doing a meeting for worship. You all sit in silence and the spirit moves someone to speak and the idea is you all come together in a space. There's no dogma, there's no minister, no one's in charge. You're all one big group. How can you recreate that in your classroom and have a meeting for learning experience? How can you, as a class, figure out what you're learning? Of course, you're the guy, you're the teacher, but how can you say, okay, we're going to this path, you ask a question, and it's gonna go this way, and I'm gonna, we're gonna be fine with that because we're learning together. And let the, let the, let the it's, it's tricky, because you do it, well, I have points A, B, C, and D to make. You know, and for me, it was very like, you gotta know how to talk about film this way and understand these concepts so you can perform your last pieces. Mm -hmm. But I had to get out of the way of the process yes. and let the class actually define and decide where we go. And that meant trying to find a way to accentuate every single child in the class in some particular way. You know, we're watching movies, reading pieces, like, okay, they're gonna relate to this part, they're gonna relate to that part, and really aggressively, not just coming in with what I've taught every year, and saying, okay, gotta rebuild it a little bit. I got my, I got my spine, let me add my pieces to the vertebrae so each, each person in the room can feel acknowledged. When you, when you do something to <clears throat> recognize someone in the space in the room, much happens. People feel heard. People feel loved, people feel um, real, people feel witnessed, you know? How do you achieve all of that? Um, I, I think you can achieve that with the practices, the exercises, the work of being vulnerable, being vulnerable as a teacher. I have no problem going, oh, I got that wrong. You know, you know, I got that wrong, let's work it out. It, because it goes back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation about curiosity. Mm -hmm. you, you absolutely exude curiosity, Andre. Like these examples you're sharing where, I don't know anything about sports, tell me, you know, or, you know, I, oh, I don't know the answer. It's okay. It's okay. But you're curious to know the answer and you'd love to hear it from one of your students. That's, the, that's part of this other word that you shared a second ago, which I just love is process. It's the learning process and the process is you've got the vertebrae, you've got the spine of what you're going to teach. And you, of course, this is about You've got a curriculum, you've got to follow through, of course, it's, it's, we're teaching. But the way you, as you said, it's the process that fills out that spine. And that process is all the qualitative stuff that we don't assess, you know, through standardized testing or any of that stuff or teacher evaluations necessarily, because it's, it's qualitative, it's, it's sensed, it's you know when it's done right, and it involves these skills, like what we're talking about right now, it involves listening. And if you could speak, just maybe just kind of take us home right now, like one final kind of word about the importance that you've recognized about listening, Andre, in your work with students, with groups, with, um, you know, it, it, just any sort of context and, and, and why you value listening so strongly uh, at this day and time. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Um, no, right now you're asking me this question in June of 2020, um, with all this happening in the world, with the question of listening. Um, I think sometimes as the person communicating, you have to be patient and know that some people may listen but may not hear you for a while. And what does it mean to have patience in that space? And when someone actually does reach back out to you and says, you know what, something you told me freshman year in high school, I think I finally get it. <laughs> you know, and that takes, and I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a living witness for that one. I have an example <laughs> of that. Um, that takes patience and time, you know, to be patient with someone. Because sometimes you're, you're dropping stuff, and especially with some, half the stuff the kids are reading or talking about is, you know, kind of going in the head, but just going over. And I believe in, like, giving them this heavy content and information to plant the seeds. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm, it's funny because I'm taking your listening idea and turning around to talk about it as a communicator. That's because right. the communicator, the person who's giving the information that you're listening to, has to not demand that you're actually heard and teach your audience how to actually listen. You see the difference in that? That's a real slight difference. You know, I said this, repeat it back to me. No, here's some information I want you to think about. What did you hear? How did you interpret it? You know, I think that's very different, very different exercise. It's, and it gets back to the concept of time. Yeah. I can't separate listening from time, Andre, because of what, of what we're talking about, and that example is perfect. You know, we are not, our students are not open vessels to just fill up. I'm filling you with this. Listen to me and you will understand. That's not the process of teaching. That's not the learning process. That's not bearing witness to each student's learning. But what you're talking about is through true listening, allowing time so that, you know, my dad would always say, my dad was a teacher and he would always tell me, make time your friend. Mm. Make time your friend. And if you are fortunate enough to work in a school and work with, in a class where you're able to marinate, right? And let kids be kids and listen and digest at their own rate. That's where true learning, that's where it's so much more effective than that whole push, 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 which does not long-term retain. No. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. I'm in complete sense. I'm, I'm in complete agreement. Yeah. I think that's, that is the way that's a, that's one of the secrets to making this happen. And I've seen it work time and time again in the classroom. So it's exciting to know that, you know, we can make this happen. It's fun. Teaching is fun. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. When you were watching those kids get out of the van, those 12 kids, and I'm not racist, am I, in that, in that workshop, you know, in the joy that you felt like, oh, they've bonded. They're, they're already clicking. They're all not clicking up, but they're clicking together as a whole. How great is that? I'm going to have fun with these kids now. And the fun comes in all the spectrum. I mean, you've got kids crying. You've got kids sharing. You've got kids laughing. But it's all, it's all bringing out their idealism. It's all bringing out the goodness. And that is fun, creative. Yeah passionate um yeah. andre thank you so much and i just want to say before we actually close this up is um i really mean this for any teacher who's listening or watching to this podcast check out prep school negro check out i'm not racist am i and i say for for overlapping reasons but when i think about prep prep school negro you're looking at your kids at the beginning of september through a, a camp through a, a screen or through or in real life brick and mortar um you're looking at your students and you might have that student who, or a handful of students who just don't seem like they're fitting in, who just might seem like they're a little bit out. They're a little bit like just not feeling comfortable either with themselves or in the classroom. 
Prep School Negro is all about that. And this is your story, Andre. You know, the teachers, and this is why I wanted to ask, who listened to you and who are these teachers who really uh, heard you and, and, and listened to you and saw you and, and made you comfortable in a school where you were of a very, very, very small, uh, you know, not fitting the stereotype of the prep school kid in 1986. Yeah. yeah. So watch Prep School Negro for that. And then another, and watch I'm Not Racist, Am I? To learn how to teach, in a sense, to learn how to set up a group of 12 kids, which would be like a group of your class on the first day, and how to make time your friend how to look at them as first drafts, how to listen to yourself as a first draft, and then, but, but with the confidence that you will be able to turn in a final draft, to create a classroom where it's safe to throw out a first draft, yeah. knowing that that's not how you're going to be uh, you know, looked at or listened to for the rest of the school year. Yeah. Learn about time, learn about groups, learn about allowance and safety and, and authenticity through the movie, I'm Not Racist, Am I? And then dig into that content. All right. That is critical content. So it's beautiful, Andre. Thank you. And is, uh, do you have any last word you want to say? Otherwise, we can close it out. It's great to listen to you. That's my last word. Thank you, Andre Lee, filmmaker, teacher, speaker, consultant. Oh, my God. We didn't even get to your, you know, your civil rights tours and leader <laughs> in that way. But you are just amazing. And I'm just so honored to have had you on this episode. Thank you so much, Andre Lee. Thank you, Nat. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.